You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse, uh, we're going to actually just be looking at one verse this morning, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to be actually looking at this one verse for the next three Sundays. Uh, And asking the question that the prophet asks, What does the Lord require of you? Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. I've had the vocational privilege of preaching to a group of individuals for the last 21 years. Uh, What that means is at various times I was a youth pastor, so I had a group of teenagers, and then I got demoted and became a lead pastor of a church. Um, I say demoted because teenagers will generally kind of do what you tell them to do. Adults, not so much. They still, adults have the same uh, dramas that teenagers have. They're just more complicated and have bigger consequences to them. Uh, Fifteen of those years, uh, being a lead pastor, one of the first conversations I want to have with the Lord uh, as I evaluate my life is why in the world He had me as a lead pastor at 23. And I don't, I don't, I've never understood, uh, I've never understood that that logic that the Lord had. Um, but what I've found is that preaching over time has both joy and sorrow mixed in the same cup. Joy over hearing that God uses a sermon uh, or a particular scripture that was taught to awaken somebody's mind, to help them understand the beauty of who God is, to walk away from uh, a sermon or a, uh, a moment of teaching and have somebody say, I've never seen it that way, I've never understood it, where you just see that light click. All the teachers in the room understand that moment where it's just like the, the student goes, I never understood it, and now I do, and you're just like, yes, right? Uh, or uh, at preaching over time, seeing the uh, in uh, the encouragement of uh, and and growth of a hearer who over time was living contrary to the way of God, and through uh, watching them sit under biblical teaching, watch their life change as they uh, began to shift away from their own understanding of the world to the way God has revealed it to them. That's the joy side of, uh, of preaching. But the grief side is also that there are some who are regular hearers that have been in my congregations that reject the teaching of Scripture and embrace their own idea of what is best for them. Uh, and those are those moments where you just second-guess yourself and question and go, God, what did I? could I have done something different? Could I have said it in a different way? Could I have been more persuasive? Could I have been more, uh, um, uh, you know... Uh, emotional in a way that would draw them in and you know you just have to walk away from those going Lord I I gave the best that I had and the rest is up to you Micah writes he has told you O man what is good the joy and grief of preaching and teaching scripture uh, is that it is the very best that we have to offer God's Word, His revealed truth, is the best that there is to offer into the world. 
there's for some that is life changing when they begin to read God's word and realize that it is the God of the universe, the one who made all things, the one who formed things, the one who defines all things, that the scriptures are his word to them and they receive that, believe that, understand that, then the words become life changing, transformational to them. And that's the, the joy. The, uh, the others... They come away from those Scriptures and they find it insufficient for themselves. And the reason that that's such a grief is that the truth is that I as a preacher have nothing better to give to you than God's Word. I can give you my best ideas. I can give you the best ideas of other people on this planet. But those things are not the best. The best that I can give you is to say, Thus says the Lord. Not, thus says Chris, or thus says Ross, or thus says Martin. But to say, thus says the God who loved you, formed you, knows all the hairs on your head. That is uh, the best that I have to offer. And if that is insufficient, then there is great grief for me because I have nothing better to offer. Regardless of the person's response... uh, This is what God has to offer to us. His revelation of the reality of how He has made the world, the way in which we are to operate in it, uh, has not changed and is not changed by how we feel about it, nor how we respond to it. God is absolute. He defines what love is. He defines what joy is. He defines what beauty is. He defines what is truth. And so my feelings about it or my reactions to it don't change Him at all. So sometimes preaching feels like a rhetorical question. What does the Lord require of you? That's the message that Micah is giving to this, the, the congregation of Judah uh, as he's preaching in the, the southern kingdom. If you remember your, your uh, Israelite history, the nation of Israel split in two uh, after um, Sam, or, uh, Solomon and the kingdom crumbled apart. The northern kingdom of Israel was uh, known as just... Godless king after godless king after godless king. The the southern kingdom of Judah where Jerusalem was, uh, it was known for a lot of godless kings, but it was known for some who did walk in the way of their father David. And uh, Micah was preaching in that same place in outside of Jerusalem. This rhetorical question that he gives to them, what does the Lord require of you, is uh, interesting in the sense of he's, he's a prophet, right? Uh, every follower of Jesus should be able to answer the question that he gives, what is, does the Lord require of you? We should be able to answer that question with a resounding, duh, right? What does the Lord require of you? Or I can ask it in a more churchy way. What is the great commandments? The great commandments are two. What are they? Love your neighbor as yourself. Or condensed as close as you can get it. Love God and love people. Right? Duh. Seems as simple as it can possibly be. Jesus did not invent those. He was saying, this is what we've been saying forever. He says, all the law and all the prophets, everything hangs on these two things. And Micah 
was preaching the same way where he's going, there's this huge history of the nation of Israel. This huge history of God's provision bringing them out of Egypt. God's uh, promise to Abraham as he says to this knucklehead out of Ur, I will make you a great nation where your people will be like the stars of the heaven and more numerous than the sand on the seashore. That's going to be my promise to you. And then they, uh, year after year after year, saw God fulfilling His promises to them and saw them uh, fulfilling His promises to where He's saying, you will have this land. You will live on that. You will be My people. I will be your God. You'll have this place where God's My presence will reside with you. Uh, and, And they saw all of that, right? But in the midst of all of that history, in the midst of all of that, what became a duh thing, God has revealed Himself to the people of Israel began to forget. They began to not pay attention to it. They began to not value it. And so God sent prophets in to speak almost dumb questions. What does God want from you? And every Israelite should have been able to go, well, we know because He's already told us, right? He's already told us what it means for us to be His people. What does this look like? Love your, or love God and love your neighbor. It is as basic of a question and as basic of an answer as we can give as followers of Jesus. The why, or the what, is the easy part. The how do we live it is the hard part. Because we know the right answer, but how to apply that on Tuesday is going to be the part that's tough. How is it that we love God when we are in the midst of prayer and it feels like the only thing that's listening is the walls and the ceiling? How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how do I love my neighbor when my neighbor hates me? How do I do these things? Micah had the same problem in his day that we have in ours. It's not that the message has been difficult at any point in time in the revealed will of God. It's the application of it into real life that is the part that is a challenge for us as we try to be obedient to what it is that God revealed. It wasn't like every other prophet before Micah hadn't been telling the people the exact same thing. This is why when, when he says this, you know, he begins this by saying, He has told you. When he says, oh man, he's not talking to a man, he's talking to y'all man, like the, the whole nation of Israel. He's told you what is good. We live in a society where we are con- in this constant state of what is, what is morally right, right? And we always want to check ourselves back and forth. And the, the prophet is writing here saying, we've already been told. We already know what is right. We already know what is good. It wasn't like the covenant terms of Deuteronomy were not clear. It's not as though the law as God told them, told it to them was unclear. Micah was a preacher in his day, the same as I'm a preacher in mine, saying the same fundamental basics to an audience split between simple hearers and actual doers. The Bible is very clear when it talks about the nature of hearing what God says. That there's two types of hearers, right? There's hearers that just get the auditory, sensory 
response of hearing, right? That's that simple miscommunication. Can you guys hear me? Right? Can you hear? Can you hear me? And that kind of a statement of can you hear me is very different than when your mom or grandma said, "Did you hear what I said?" Those things mean two very different things, right? Two very, very different things. Because what she is meaning is, if you heard me, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you moving? Why is there not action involved in this? You have heard, oh man, what is good. But have you heard? Anybody know what the very first passage of Scripture taught to every Jewish child was? The Shema. And what what does the word Shema mean? To hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. To hear is to respond, to live differently. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We'll take the next three weeks to see what the Lord requires of us from these. And today, we want to look at the fact that He requires us to do justice. Justice is a big buzzword in our culture and time in this moment. There are social justice warriors. People are seeking justice. It's a political platform. It's an ideological platform. It's a moment in time at which people are divided over the issue of what is justice, racial justice, sexual equality, justice, criminal justice, all of these issues of justice. And so if we ask ourselves the question, it's not, should we be doing justice? That's kind of a duh question, right? The Bible is full of telling us we ought to do justice. The question is, how? How do we do that? How do we do that, especially in, in a world that is so utterly divided? That we, we honestly just... Like, we can't have conversations with new people uh, without, like, skating around certain questions or statements, right? Because, you know, if you, if you take a stance on something, it now lumps you into a particular camp and you're, you're, you're believed to believe everything that involves around that camp and you no longer can have a conversation with each other. So how are we supposed to, as followers of Jesus, doing this duh kind of thing? What does God require for you? He requires you to do justice. How do we do that? without losing our way? Or how do we do that without not doing it? It has been said that one of the purposes of the prophets was to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. This was the message of Micah as he preached into the the nation of Judah. Micah was a, a contemporary of Isaiah. He was preaching at the same time. The prophet Micah uh, was a messenger to do just that. He was 
uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was from a small town outside of, uh, sorry, not Judah, Jerusalem, about 50 miles south of that city. While Isaiah was familiar with the king's court and uh, was familiar with kind of the more uh, urban lifestyle of Jerusalem, Micah was the friend of farmers, goat herders, and peasants. They, they were both messengers of the, of the Lord, but they came from incredibly different backgrounds. Sometimes we think that life was so incredibly different in Scripture that we can't possibly identify with the issues of their day. And the reality of that is we just aren't reading Scripture carefully. That the words of God to those that were uh, 2,700 years ago are just as applicable to us today. Let's see if that's true. Has anyone heard recently that if you're wealthy and can afford a good lawyer, that you're more likely to get away with murder than somebody who can't afford a good lawyer? Have you guys heard of that before? That's not new. It's been around a little while. Why is there a push presently to make sure that the rich pay their fair share of taxes? Is that new? Is that something that's never existed before? Why has there been a global outcry when an unarmed black man jogging in a neighborhood is chased and subsequently gunned down in cold blood? Why do people get upset about that? Is that something new? Well, the reason that we are not surprised by these things is because there is truly such a thing as injustice. And it's not new. It's been a part of the human condition ever since the fall. And no one wants to be on the receiving side of injustice, right? This is, this is evidence for, I believe, again, a creator, a, a divine being outside of humanity that says that uh, there, is, there is something that is fixed, a, a rule, if you will, that is not defined by the human experience that every man knows there is such a thing as wrong. And if we really do just live in a material world, if all this is is just atoms and chemistry and physics interacting with itself, and there's nothing really outside of that, there is no such thing as morality. There is no such thing as right and wrong. There is no such thing as injustice. It doesn't exist. Apart from a being that exists outside of this creation that defines what is good and right and true. The best that we can say about injustice is that it is a very weird chemical reaction. Or I say maybe the worst we can say about injustice is that it's just bad chemistry or strange chemistry. Well, we all know that injustice is a thing and we don't want to see, but chances are everyone here has read something or experienced something, even in this past week, that made you say, that's not right. This shouldn't be. Whatever this is, it's wrong. They shouldn't have experienced that. I shouldn't have experienced that. And if this happens with any kind of frequency, no wonder the prophet Micah spent so much ink on the charge uh, to people to do justice. 
We could preach through the whole book of Micah and you just see chapter after chapter after chapter of him addressing injustice. Addressing the way in which uh, people should be doing justice and aren't. People of power using their power for their own gain, not for the good of others. People using their wealth in such a way to benefit themselves and rob from other people. And this is the whole message of Micah as he uh, speaks into this. So how do we do justice in our day? Social justice issues are all the rage and TikTok, Twitter, uh, and the kid in your fourth period class all have an answer to how they think justice should happen. But we don't want to do just the world's justice. We want God's justice. We want to be a people who are marked not by our opinion, but ones who are submitted to the one who gives all authority and who defines what is good. So we're going to look at three things. What not to do to do justice. Second, how to organize for justice. And third, how justice and grace are inseparable in our gospel. First, what not to do to do justice. When the Bible speaks about issues of justice, specifically in the Old Testament, a significant portion of what it gives in the, around the nature of justice is in a negative context. Not in a like, this is bad context, but in a don't do this kind of context. The negative saying, this is a uh, don't do this action kind of thing. Negatively, as he writes, uh, as uh, the prophet Micah writes about this, uh, he talks about prohibiting bribery, theft, oppression, perjury, dishonesty, and the like. He's basically just saying be truthful, be honest, but he says it in a negative context. Don't take bribes, don't steal from people. Don't oppress them and make them less valuable. Don't lie under oath. Just don't be dishonest, right? God gives standards of justice by telling His people explicitly what not to do. In uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 11 through 18, he says this, if you want to look there, you can. Leviticus 19.11 He says, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by My name falsely. This is perjury. And so profane the name of our God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the dead or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Now if you notice that, that's a lot of nots. Don't do this. And then he concludes all of that with a positive, a you shall do this. And all of those were towards your neighbor, right? Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't lie under oath when somebody else is on trial. Don't uh, put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Don't uh, curse the deaf. And he says, you shall fear your 
God. This is why when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then He said, The second is like the first or linked to the first. In other words, if you're not doing the second, you're not doing the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not do injustice in court, verse 15. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Wait, what? You mean there's people that think that the poor are the most important people in the world and they're the ones that we should all listen to? And there's some that think that the rich are the powerful, they're the ones that we should listen to? And he says, don't do either of them. Don't do either of them. Do not elevate one over the other, regardless of what their position is. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer amongst your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself." I am the Lord. He's pretty blatant about it, right? The issues of justice are tied with, I am the Lord, love me, fear me, honor me. And the issues of justice are tied with, love your neighbor. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, He summed up all the don'ts of the Old Testament and turned them into do's. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's really, honestly, pretty simple, right? If you love God, you're not going to take His name in vain. You're not going to defame His character. If you love God, you're not going to reflect the truth of who God is wrongly to people. That's, the, that's what it means to love God. When, when we say take the name of the Lord in vain, that's, that's actually not, I mean, in a, in a very small sense, in an Old Testament sense, that's using God's actual name in a uh, non-holy manner. But that's, God's name is tied to His character. And every time that we reflect the character of God wrongly, we are taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's a stark contrast. We're not going to have idols if we're loving God. When we do those do's, those don'ts take care of themselves. And likewise, when we think of love your neighbor as yourself, if I'm loving my neighbor, I'm probably not going to murder him. Right? Probably not. If I'm loving my neighbor, I'm probably not going to steal his stuff. If I'm loving my neighbor, I'm probably not going to sleep with his wife. If I'm loving my neighbor, I'm not going to covet his things. If I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Those two things are a lot easier to keep track of, right? Love God, love people. And just ask the question as you step into a moment and say, does this love God? Truly love Him, exalt Him, honor Him for all that He is worth, for all of His goodness. Does this love my neighbor? Does this action that I'm fixing to do, this attitude that I'm holding right now, does this love my neighbor? The don'ts of justice are actually tied up in two very simple do's. And this is not new. This is not 
profound in the sense that I've discovered something new. This is, this is what the message of the prophets and Jesus and the disciples and every pastor, theoretically, up until this moment, has been. It's very simple. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice. And we do justice best by loving God and loving people. Loving God for who He really is and loving people according to who God is. That's how we are to do justice. Secondly, how do we organize for justice? How ought we to organize for justice? It does not take long to look through the pages and statements of the United States to find that the theme of justice was heavy upon the minds of the leaders of that day. From the Declaration of Independence, the statement that, uh, of self-evident truths that all men were created equal. That is a justice statement. And they were made that way by their Creator to something as simple as the conclusion of the Pledge of Allegiance. Anybody remember the end of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With liberty and justice for all, right? An ideal of justice was desired by the founders of the United States and leaders throughout. But we've seen so much injustice in our nation. So how can it be so on the forefront of our minds and not actually see played out into the real world? How do we lead out of that? Well, true justice is balanced upon the nature of the Imago Dei, the image of God. All injustice, all injustice, is that when we encounter an individual, we tip the scale where we no longer see them as an image bearer of God. We, we shift who we think they are away from how we see ourselves. We make them less than us. And ultimately, this is not acknowledging the, the image of God that exists in every human being. Every human being, regardless of skin, economic status, geographic location, age, mental ability, religion, regardless of who they are, the image of God bears upon the human soul. Equality before God means that we are subject to God's standards for all of us. This was the understanding, at least, that the, the founders of the, the United States, as they were building these things off of these principles of justice, even though we know, as we look back, that they had a flawed understanding of some of those things. They made the right statements and we step into those today to say, yes, they are actually equal human beings. This is why uh, our nation's founding uh, leaders established us as a constitutional republic rather than a constitutional democracy. And the reason for that is democracies is actually mob rule. If you just get enough people to agree with you, then it doesn't matter what the other side says. The group is right. And unfortunately, we're trying to press ourselves into that kind of an, uh, that kind of an understanding. 
that's actually the, the movement of society. We, we were a, a, a society that was operating on modernistic uh, worldview. Then we became postmodern in our worldview where everybody was like, hey, what's, whatever's good for you is good for me and we can just agree to disagree. And we've, gone, we've now transitioned from postmodernity to this new thing that says we've realized that you can believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe and those things are in contrast with each other and we're just going to be okay with that. We found out that that doesn't actually work. And so now, it's not okay for you to agree differently than me. You have to believe the way that I believe. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get enough people that agree with me the way that I believe and I'm going to make you believe the way that... And we can see that throughout all of Western society and the way that it works. And the problem with that is that doesn't work in a republic. Because a republic, by nature of representation, defines the nature that there is truth outside of human control. In other words, if all of us, if 100% of us agree that genocide is good, it doesn't make genocide good. If everybody is on the side of one thing, it itself, by nature of what it is, there's something outside of human experience that defines it, not our opinion of it. And so this is how they set it up in such a way as to say there are truths that we have to submit to because they're just true. Not because we want them to be true or not even because we like them, but because they are true. These truths are self-evident outside of human experience. You ought to be able to just look at it and go, well, yes, this is a human being. They have worth. And you might say, well, Chris, how is it or why is it that you're harping on this? Of course, that makes perfect sense, obviously. Well, this is one of the consequences of modernity that flew through evolutionary theory. If you read the foreword of Charles Darwin's initial origin of the species, one of his arguments for slavery was that the African man was less human. And if we all own sled dogs, or we all own oxen, or we all own goats, or we all own chickens, and nobody has a problem with how we act with those things, then of course we ought to be, uh, because they are not human, we can treat them however we want to, and so therefore this individual, they're not human. And so what does it matter if we have them as a slave? They're just like a cow or a chicken or anything else. It's because in that view we've stripped the Imago Dei. One of the early pushes of the uh, American Indian War was to kill the Indian to save the man. Do you see the stripping off of it? They're not men. They're just some things that lived out in this place that we want to be. Issues of justice are tied ultimately to the reality. And this is one of the powerful things that we as Christians need to understand. Is that God has revealed to us not how wonderful we are because of who we are. But how wonderful we are because we are His image bearers. And every person that you will meet in your entire life. Regardless of how rude they are to you. Regardless of how much they hate you. Regardless of how indifferent they are to you, every one of them is an image bearer of God. 
And so as we organize ourselves, we have to organize ourselves in such a way as to acknowledge the reality of the image of God that exists upon the human soul of every person. Equal value and equal worth. That if somebody's poor, it doesn't make them less valuable to God. If somebody's rich, it doesn't make them more valuable to God. If somebody is Western, Caucasian, it doesn't make them less valuable before God. If somebody is uh, of a particular ethnicity, it doesn't make them more special to God. That God is equal in His love for us. We ought to organize ourselves that same way. This plays out in some really funky ways. This means that the people that voted opposite of you, God loves them, and they are image bearers of His. And it doesn't matter what side you voted on, that's still a true statement. Right? It does not matter how much of a particular pigment that you have in your skin or don't have in your skin. God loves you. And so should we. So should we. As we interact with a world that is different than us, we need to be reminded that we ought never to mock those to whom we are to share the hope of Jesus with. We live in a day where we almost feel like mocking is a spiritual gift. The people that were in our... our, uh, uh, church membership class here a couple weeks ago did a spiritual gifts inventory. Was mocking one of those ones that was on? Anybody score real high on mocking? Sarcasm? Bitterness? <laughs> John's like, yeah, I did that one. Wrong. <laughs> so how do we fix that? Because we have, the reality is we know that pe- the people that are in those camps... They don't view the people in the other camps as equal. So how do we speak this? How do we speak this difference? How do we change this as Christians? Well, it's because justice and grace are inseparable in our gospel. Christians, we don't do justice primarily through economic means, through political means, through social activism means. We primarily do justice through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know what was just? What was just was that God condemned us, me, to hell forever. That's what was just. My kids were growing up and they would say, well, that wasn't fair. And I would have one statement. Fairness ended in the garden. Nothing after that was fair. This is where we see God's grace. God stepped into injustice. We, His created being, looked at Him and said, I hate you. Again and again and again and again. Up until this moment. And God's grace met us and did not jettison justice. Because here's the thing. God didn't step into our life and say, man, you are terrible, and that's okay. You're just forgiven. And just let us off scot-free. That's not justice. Right? If you've ever been in a situation where 
somebody stole something from you or killed somebody that you love and you went to that courtroom and they were standing trial there and the judge looked at him and said, yes, you absolutely, there's every bit of evidence that you did this, you're guilty of this action and it's okay, I forgive you, you can go home. We would be in an uproar. There's no justice. Grace and justice are inseparable in our gospel because what this tells us is that God is just towards our sin. And if we don't know that, we don't understand that, we've never actually understood the cross. That He who knew no sin became sin for us. Every act of rebellion, every act of hatred, every act of racism, every act of lust, every act of jealousy, every, uh, every time that I stepped over the don't do this and I did it, Jesus became that for me. And He 100% satisfied God's wrath for me on the cross. That's justice. But He didn't just stop there. He gave us grace. Undeserved love. I never did not one thing to earn His love. Not one. And yet He gave it freely. What does this look like for us today? Well, one, as we see all of the injustice in this world, we need to be reminded of this profound truth that nothing goes unpunished. Nothing goes unpunished. Everything that you read this week, everything that you saw this week, everything that you experienced this week, that you went, that shouldn't be, is going to be dealt with. It's going to be dealt with. And as we step into a world filled with injustice, we need to come with justice, truth, righteousness, coming with that which is uh, real and true into this world and just. We need to be people that are truthful with the words that we say. But we also need to come with grace. Realizing that we weren't all put together when Jesus met us. Neither are the people that we're encountering. The most racist person that you could possibly, that you know within your own sphere of life, is no worse than you were before you came to Jesus. And if we can understand that, then we can exhibit grace, undeserved favor. Oftentimes, we, the only time we want to exhibit what we think is grace is if, if they'll just come to our side of the thought. Once you step over the line, and then I'll begin to give you grace. And he's saying, no, just give them grace because they are an image bearer of God whom God loves, gave His life for. And they may be an individual who doesn't know that yet. So our hope is that we can live in such a way as to do justice ourselves, to be people that are truthful in our actions. To be people that look out for people that are being oppressed. To be the voice for people who don't have a voice. To love our neighbor as ourselves, because we see the image of God and we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Realizing that we are people who needed Jesus. We needed Him. I needed Him. I needed to be changed from the inside out. It's really not that complicated. 
But the reality for everyone that's here is that you will, some of you will hear it and go, yeah, 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 and you'll go on with the rest of your life like none of this mattered. And I'll be like Micah, standing in on the outskirts of Jerusalem saying, you know, oh man, what is good? What does God require of you today? To do justice. And you'll go on about your business like God never said that. But others, you will hear it. And you'll hear it like your grandma's telling you, did you hear what I said? And you'll say, yes, grandma. Or more rightly, yes, Lord. Let me do justice today. Let me love people who are hard to love. Not because they've earned it, but because of just like me, they're image bearers of God. And so I can love them with the same love that I have for you. I can walk patiently with them. I can speak truth. And as much as it depends on me, I can be truthful in these situations. I can be loving in these situations. I can step into these and be the voice for people that have no voice. And together we can be obedient to what God requires of us to do justice. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that it is surgical today. That it's not old text. But the problems of Micah's day are the problems of today. And we've forgotten, God. We've forgotten that we were sinners in need of a Savior and You stepped into the injustice of our lives, our, us as created beings rebelling against You. I can't conceive of anything more unjust. And You came with grace and justice and made us right with You. It's changed us. And so, Lord, we're looking around in this world that's filled with injustice and we're, we see people that are filled with hate and bigotry and uh, hatred of You, hatred of Your Word in every camp that we can see. And You ask us, what do we require today for us? I can't change how the U.S. government works. I can't change how people groups work. I can't change how political parties work. But I have control of my actions today. So Holy Spirit, help us by the power of the Gospel as it has transformed our lives to do justice. We love You. It's in the name that we pray. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.